Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Nastya Voinovskaya, a Russian-born, Oakland-based journalist and one of the arts and culture editors at KQED, San Francisco's NPR station. She covers the intersection of the arts, activism, labor, pop culture, the Bay Area, and more. And now, here's our first letter. Uh, I think this next letter is you, is that right? Um, I think I just read that last one, actually, but I would be happy to read it. Honestly, I believe you, and uh, and I'll still take you up on your offer to read it. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> Subject, parental rejection. Dear Prudence, three years ago, my parents got divorced. Though my twin brother and I had both finished college and were out of the house, we still found it devastating. During this process, my father said some extremely cruel things to me, implying that I was betraying him and siding with my mother, something that I was consciously trying to avoid. I would have confronted him, but it happened over text messaging and we weren't in the same city at the time. But I felt so rejected and hurt. Afterwards, he moved to another state, and our contact since has only been sporadic and, on my side at least, quite strained. I had sort of buried that memory until recently, when I reread the messages and felt hurt all over again. Now I'm avoiding his calls. I feel like I have two options. Bring what he said to me back into the open and make a bid at reconciliation, or, depending on how he reacts, estrangement. Or I can keep going as I am now, holding him off at an arm's length to protect myself. He's my dad, and I love him. But I feel like I can't trust him the way I used to. What should I do? Man, I really feel for this letter writer. That's that's a really, really tough one. Yeah, it is painful. Uh, I think they made a pretty solid assessment of what their two options are. Mm-hmm. Was, was there another option that struck you as a possibility, or did those seem to you like the two main possible responses? Yeah, I think those do seem like the two main possible responses. Um, I was just going to advise them, you know, to not feel bad about taking some time to process this and how they want to move forward. I think so often we want a relationship to go right and kind of want to jump into a reconciliation. But um, I think it would be fair to even kind of slowly begin to tell the dad, you know, that that last conversation really hurt me and see if the dad even tries to extend an olive branch because that that would kind of help build that bridge back rather than the letter writer um, becoming really vulnerable right away and hoping for a reconciliation and potentially it not going as well as they want it to and then feeling rejection on top of the pain they are already feeling. I like that. I think that's a, a useful strategy that there might be a way of just acknowledging. I know I haven't been taking your calls. I've been thinking about something that was really difficult for me and trying to figure out a way to bring it up and maybe asking him to kind of respect the distance that you need right now as you sort of think through that. But yeah, you know, you can absolutely keep going as you are now, keeping your father at arm's length. Lots of people do that in their relationships with their fathers and, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of make pragmatic decisions about 
I, I think at least for now, it's I, I would rather have surface level conversations every once in a while and sometimes feel a real pang than really have it out and and stop talking um, or experience even worse rejection or even more harshness. People absolutely do that. And you certainly can if you want to. But it does seem like the letter writer is kind of leaning towards this actually isn't working anymore. It, it worked for a little while and now it's not. And I would actually rather have it out, but I kind of don't know how to, and I'm a little scared. And, and the letter writer, I think, is is relatively young, right? It's still mid-20s uh, time frame for them, I think. Yeah, that's what it sounded like to me, too. And um, it also made me wonder what the relationship was like before the divorce. Um, mm-hmm. It seems like the, the dad also w- was really hurt at maybe what was a perceived slight from the letter writer. So it seems like there's just a lot of pain on both sides it seems like the family is really really strained by by this divorce so i also just want to acknowledge that both people are probably coming from a really hurt place yeah and it may be you know if your parents were getting divorced when you were just leaving college it may be that you hadn't yet had many disagreements with your dad as an adult like you may still have kind of thought of your dad as the person who sometimes gets mad at you and then you apologize to but you didn't yet have a lot of experience of now we have a relationship as adults uh, where there's still a parent-child dynamic but it's not like either I'm in trouble or we're not fighting you know what I mean like that can sometimes be challenging for people to learn how to like have reasonable amounts of conflict with their parents as adults. Yeah, that's really tough. And a lot of the time I think in parent-child relationships, especially during childhood, um, sometimes in some families, the kids are kind of expected to take what the parents say kind of as law and swallow whatever feelings they may have about it. But it seems like in this adult relationship, the letter writer has a need for the dad to acknowledge their feelings and acknowledge the hurt that that last conversation caused. So I think um, whether or not the dad is able to own up to that and acknowledge that and have empathy for that is really going to determine where the letter writer wants to set their next boundary. Yeah. And and I'll just add to that too. I think if you were to go to your dad and say, this may strike you as something of a surprise, but I've really been thinking about a conversation we had a few years ago where you said some things that really hurt me. You implied that I was choosing sides and betraying you. It was painful for a couple of reasons, but most mostly because I had been working very, very hard um, not to take sides. And um, we didn't really have a chance to hash it out at the time. It still felt really raw. I was going through a hard time already. And I just need you to know that I, I still carry the hurt around from that. And And I really wish that you hadn't said that to me. That that's a really gentle thing to say to your father. You're not telling him he didn't have a right to be sad or going through a difficult time at, at that point. But frankly, I think even if he was, it was really incumbent upon him as the, you know, he'd been adu- an adult at that point for a pretty long time, whereas you were a sort of freshly minted one. And again, you were his kid going through a divorce. Um, it, it was really incumbent upon him, I think, in that moment to not speak cruelly to his child who is being put in the middle of their parents. So I, I, I really do think you have real grounds to ask him to acknowledge the hurt that you experience there and his role as your father in the, in that moment. And I hope he can hear you. I hope he can apologize meaningfully. If he really blows up, 
you know, that doesn't necessarily mean you two can never talk again. You're allowed to make your own decisions there, but that may feel like confirmation that you don't want to try to have serious emotional conversations with him anymore. And you might want to just say like, okay, we don't have to agree on this one, but let's not talk about it again. And then take a little time and space until you'll feel up to going back to the kind of conversation that's like, how are sports and the weather? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good take on that. And then also, I think this letter writer could also potentially look to their twin brother for support too. I know they mentioned him in the beginning and maybe the twin brother mm. has gone through something similar or just have, has um, another perspective on it. So that could be a source of support as well. That's a great point. I hadn't thought about that, but that, of course, that seems so obvious to me now. So thank you for including that one. Of course. All right. I'm going to read this next one because I remember now that you read the last one. Okay. The subject is wrestling with regret. Dear Prudence, a few years ago, I got the opportunity to move from my home country to North America. I was excited because I'd been burned out over my job at the time. I owned a house with my father that had a small mortgage left on it, but no other family member was in my home country. And since I didn't yet have a job in North America, I decided to sell it. Others in my life thought it was a bad idea because the location was excellent, but I didn't want to be a long-distance landlord and I was desperate to leave. Now I have a decent job that more than pays my bills and I'm pretty comfortable. However, nearly three months ago, it suddenly hit me out of the blue what a stupid decision selling the house had been. The mortgage had been pretty small, it would have been paid off by now, and it would be extra income to take care of my still healthy but now aging father. I've been trying to get over it, but I can't seem to. All the obstacles that seemed so insurmountable a few years ago turned out to have really been nothing. I have trouble sleeping and I'm angry and I'm sad all the time now because of it. I realize I'm very lucky and in a good job, but I'm not rolling in money. The pandemic has thrown this all into an even sharper relief about how dumb it was to throw away an investment that would have been an extra source of income since no one's job is really secure. This is not helped by the fact that in the short time I've been away, the economy in my home country has skyrocketed. The house is now worth triple what it was when I sold it. Truthfully, it was a dumb decision, and I regret it with all my heart. I feel as if I robbed my father of his retirement because I convinced him to sell it. I know there's nothing I can do about it now, and it doesn't make sense to dwell, but all I seem to be able to do is dwell. Please help. Hmm. Yeah, I think with this one, I think before the letter writer can come up with a plan for what they want to do financially and for their father's retirement, they, they have a lot of feelings of guilt and shame and regret to work through first. Certainly. Yeah. I, I wanted to start by acknowledging that this is a letter I'm having a harder time um, generating a lot of compassion for. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's hard to get really worked up over, gee, I wish I was a landlord. <laughs> um, True. So I, I'll just start with that. But the problem of like, how do I deal with unproductive feelings of regret over something I cannot change when I'm in a relatively stable situation regardless? That I think is a problem a lot of us can relate to and 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 make a lot of sense. Um, to that, I would say, as always, I recommend journaling. You know, write down a list of just everything that you're mad about. Write a list of everything you believe your life would be like if you'd kept that house. Go nuts. You know, really let your imagination run riot. Talk about nine different best case scenarios and how great it would be. Um, and 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 really just like look at it on the page and then maybe spend a little time writing about what does it feel like to realize that that version of you doesn't exist? What are elements of those fantasies that you could attempt to recreate in other areas of your life? You know, it might be a useful thought experiment and you can certainly give rein to these feelings. But um, beyond that, you know, 
you know, you didn't rob your father of anything. He made a decision. You gave him some advice and he agreed with you. He was of sound mind and body. He was not, uh, you know, you weren't like elder abusing him. He wasn't old and bewildered and confused. He made that decision too. So I think you're giving yourself a little too much credit here for a decision you and your father made jointly. And it's sort of like, oh, my father's been cheated of something. And it's like, no, he decided to sell the house at the time with you. You didn't trick him into it. Yeah, that's so true. And the, you know, the father could have offered up to be the landlord of the house too if they wanted to rent it out. It seems like he didn't do that for whatever his own reasons may have been. So yeah, I think, yeah, they're kind of beating themselves up about it maybe a little too much. Yeah. And your sort of fantasy of the version of your life that that would be available to you now if you hadn't sold the house is a little detached from reality. I mean, all fantasies are obviously, but you say like, it'd be so great to have that extra source of income because nobody's jobs are secure. But like, if nobody's jobs are secure, what do you think people pay rent to their landlords with? You know what I mean? Like you could very well have had a tenant who lost their job due to the pandemic and then their housing was now at risk and you'd be in a position of having to like deal with that, which would, I don't think be good. So this idea that if you'd kept the house, you would never have had any trouble. Um, you would have just made money hand over fist. You would have somehow been safe from uncertainty. I, I think I think that's really the thing here is just like there's a pandemic. You're doing okay right now, but you know a lot of people aren't. And you're fantasizing about additional security that you could have that you don't. But it's like you're already doing okay. I think actually a better outlet for some of these like fears would maybe be looking for ways to be of service in your community to people who are actually in need right now. Yeah, I love that idea. Yeah, rather than like fantasizing about like starting your life as Mr. Monopoly and like owning homes so that you can like make a living off of other people's need for housing, I think it would be better to say like, where's the need in my community right now? And can I make a little donation to a food bank? Or can I volunteer at my local mutual aid? Can I do like behind the scenes volunteer dispatch work an hour or two a week? Something that is sustainable, something that would not threaten your own ability to pay your own bills or get your own work done, but something that maybe like reconnects you with real present in the moment need rather than possible theoretical need. Because that I think you can always, you know, the bad thing that might be about to happen to you could always be worse than the bad thing happening to your neighbor right now, right? Mm -hmm. So it might help you to keep things in perspective instead of focusing on this thing that you don't have and can't change by looking for things that you can change right now and help others with. I think that's going to be the best long-term solution for dealing with your regret because you cannot go back in time and keep that house. Yeah, totally. And just maybe having some perspective and gratitude because um, you are in a way better situation during this pandemic than a lot of people. And I mean, they say they're not rolling in dough, but they are really secure financially and have more than enough to pay their bills. And if they truly feel bad about the situation their dad is in, maybe they can have a conversation with their dad about whether he also needs some kind of financial support. Um, maybe that could also be a way to ease those feelings of guilt about his retirement plan and things like that. Yeah. And I just think, you know, the fact that like three months ago out of the blue, you like sat up one night and you were like, fuck this house suggests to me that this is a sort of like free floating anxiety that has to do with increased like an increased lack of safety, an increased lack of security uh, as a society rather than like an actual financial problem that you yourself are facing. So 
I think that's all I've got for this one. I, I hope I wasn't too dismissive. I understand those feelings and I think there's more productive things you can be doing with them. And I hope that doesn't just sound like I'm saying get over it, big deal. I kind of am, but I'm also saying other things, I think. <laughs> okay, so other other end of the housing spectrum, right? I think it's kind of great to move from one end to the other. The subject of this next letter is my husband's ex called me a, quote, hobosexual. And I'll just read it because you did two in a row and now I'll do two in a row. All right. Dear Prudence, my husband and I have been together for six years. The beginning of our relationship was difficult because he was in constant conflict with his ex. They have two kids together. One is easy to get along with and the other one is, like me, stubborn and difficult. He's also on the spectrum. He's in his 20s now. Recently, my husband's son came to visit. When he left, we found the guest room absolutely trashed. He then went to his mother's house and filled her in on the argument the three of us had had. Then my husband received a bunch of insulting texts from his ex, some of which referred to me as a, quote, hobosexual, a term I had to go look up. When we got together, my husband and I were just friends, and I was in a living situation that had gone south. We got together months after I moved in. The reason I had to leave my place and ask for shelter still bothers me, and I think it's part of the reason that term makes me angry. My husband still believes that arguing with her or defending me would just fuel the fire. I know I can't control how someone else acts and that it shouldn't bother me technically what she says. Is there a middle ground where I don't feel degraded and he can just ignore her? Ouch. Yeah, that's really fucked up. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, well, what the ex said was definitely very mean. I also really empathize with the letter writer about losing their housing situation. That's extremely, extremely scary and stressful. And I'm I'm glad that they were able to find a place to land and then ultimately ended up in this relationship too. Um, but I think one of the major things that is bothering them is that the husband didn't defend them. Um, I think there's a way that the husband could have concisely told his ex that that was extremely uncalled for and then shut down the conversation. I'm also not sure why the letter writer um, read these texts. I think if the the husband shared this incredibly mean thing that, um, that someone said about the letter writer and then didn't stand up for them, um, it's just not constructive at all. And, and I would understand why the letter right. writer would be really pissed. I feel the same way. If you're going to show someone texts that are cruel about them and ask for any kind of like emotional support or what have you in, in dealing with those texts, you need to then also be prepared to say to the person who sent them, you can't talk about my partner that way. Like you can't, I, I think he's trying to have it both ways and it was not right for him to ask for your support by showing you those messages and then saying like, I can't even tell her, hey, don't call my wife names. Like that's not getting into an unnecessary quarrel with your ex. That's a pretty reasonable line to draw. Yeah. I don't think it's adding fuel to the fire. If he were to say something like, I'm not going to tolerate you talking that way about my partner. You don't know her situation or, or their situation at all. And this conversation is over. That, that's kind of all the ex needs to hear. Absolutely. It's not necessarily like a. you don't have to justify it or explain it saying like you can't call my partner names is a totally reasonable demand. So I, I question your husband's claim that it's fueling the fire. Um, it was cruel and it sucked. Um, beyond that, if you two want to talk about whether or not you want to 
have his son stay as a guest in your home again? That sounds like it is an open question or should be. I, I don't know if it's something that you sometimes have to do or feel that you have to do or if it's something that your husband insists upon. But that seems like another kind of obvious next step in terms of making sure this sort of thing doesn't happen again is like, do do we want to have him stay in the house again? Because if 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 it's not a question of like he has nowhere else to go or something, then I would maybe say, hey, last time you were here, you trashed the place and you were real mean to my partner. Uh, you can't stay with me anymore. Um, even taking into account the fact that like he's on the spectrum and may find certain interactions really challenging or has had a difficult life in general. It's also really okay to say, here are the rules for staying in the house. And if you can't abide by them, then you can't be a guest. Yeah, for sure. And I also just want to remind the letter writer, you're not less than because you had housing insecurity before. And I, I also just think the husband needs to hear it from them. Like, like you let me down when you didn't stand up for me, I felt, you know, or I felt I felt betrayed or that made me feel less secure about our relationship because I, I, I do think that's big and it sounds like it kind of shook their trust a little bit. Yeah. And, and I think the implication I had gotten was a sort of thing of like, maybe either the letter writers like, I'm so relieved we're not constantly fighting with his ex anymore that I don't want to make any waves. Or maybe the letter writer worries that because my husband has already like put in so many hours of fighting with his ex, I feel reluctant to ask him to stand up for me. But you're allowed to be bothered. Like you're absolutely allowed to be bothered by something somebody else says about you. You do not have to pretend it doesn't affect you if somebody else like demeans you for once having had housing insecurity. That's horrible. You're allowed to feel bad. It's allowed to hurt your feelings. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah, without saying like this is a make or break issue. If you don't tell her to fuck off, I don't see a future for us together. I, I totally think it's okay for you to say, I really want you to draw that line with her. Um, and that's actually really important to me. Yeah, or like going forward, I want to feel like you have my back, something like that. That's our mini episode of Dear Prudence for this week. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. As always, if you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. 